Welcome to What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid podcast. My name is Michal Oshman, and I'm excited to have another conversation with you today, a real conversation about life, about overcoming fear and anxiety, about being yourself, about finding that place that you belong within yourself and within the world. Our podcast is all about discovering the beautiful, universal Jewish wisdom and how it can help you overcome everyday challenges like fear, anxiety, jealousy. Jewish wisdom has unique and ancient ideas of how we can navigate life, and we all know that life can be challenging at times. This podcast is not religious at all. It is a universal spiritual way of living and being. It's about self-help. Our podcast is all about making a safe space for yourself to understand yourself, who you are, what's your soul's story, what are you here to do in the world? Today, not tomorrow, not in 10 years, but today, what is purposeful for you today and how can you do more of it? I am thrilled to welcome Sophie Hagen. So who is Sophie Hagen? Sophie is a stand-up comedian, a podcaster, an author, an influencer, a dog owner, and I know how much you love your dog, non-binary, queer, and overall a great guy. This is Sophie. So lovely to meet you. I feel like I'm kind of uh, yeah, excited, nervous, loving it, all the above and much more. And obviously today is all about you. I want to keep my phone up because I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with your Instagram and I want to mention a few quotes. <laughs> Sophie, you and I didn't get a chance to talk before, but you know we're all on our unique missions. Part of my mission is what I shared in my book, I think you preferred the audio version. I've listened to about, uh, well, according to my app, I've listened to 17% okay. of it. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> I even listened to it on on higher speed so I could get as much as I as possible in before this. So you, you, you're already used to my weird Israeli accent. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's really soothing. I really like, it's a really good, uh, not a lot of people do audiobooks well. You know, sometimes you think, oh God. You should not be reading your own book, but it's so soothing. Despite my odd panic about everything you're saying. Okay. Do you want I'm to very tell? excited. I'm very excited. And like when you, you say, I'm nervous, I'm, I have to do a lot of self-reflection. <laughs> so for the people that don't know you yet, can you tell us who you are, Sophie, in your words? First and foremost, I'll explain the accent. I'm from Denmark, so that's what's happening. <laughs> that's what's <laughs> happening there. Uh, so now people can start wondering about that. <laughs> um, I sometimes forget to mention it when I perform, and then about 40 minutes into a show, I'll say, "Oh, I'm from Denmark," and I can hear 40 people going, "Oh," <laughs> just knowing that's all they've been thinking about. So I do stand-up comedy. That's my sort of my main thing. Is I'm a stand-up comedian, and I am also everything to do with the internet. You know, I, I'm an author, I do social media stuff like influencing and 
I've done some activism, and so I wrote a book called Happy Fat, which is about fat liberation. So I'm also fat, and I'm non-binary. My pronouns are she, they. Well, my pronouns are whatever. Just don't call me a woman. It's my thing. I live in London. I have a very nice dog called Hank, and I'm an introvert. And I've been sort of, I wouldn't even say battling, but I've been like dancing with mental health issues for so long. And I have several podcasts as well. <laughs> I always forget that. Oh, I'm 33, just turned 33. I'm a Scorpio. Yeah. I think that's like some of it. <laughs> that's a lot. That's plenty. That's like 10 podcasts already. And <laughs> Sophie, there are so many questions I want to ask you. And, you know, I want to ask you about, you know, moving to the UK, about being a comedian, which I admire because like it's so hard to move to another country and get a sense for a different culture and a different language and then to make people laugh. <laughs> you know, in the context of a different culture. And so, you know, tell us about that move and connecting with people that are not where you grew up and not in the language that is your first language. Like, how does that work? I've been speaking English to some extent since I was four years old because I did not like people. So I just sat in my mother's room with her tiny, tiny TV and watched a lot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So I was four years old and I spoke like Will Smith does on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which at best is called problematic. Um, so I sort of taught myself English at a very young age. So the language shift wasn't the hardest because English is a much easier language to be funny in than Danish. Danish is very clunky and long and there are, I think there's about four or 40 times as many words in the English language as there are in Danish. So it's easier to construct the perfect joke in English. So that wasn't hard. Doing comedy in Danish is very hard. <laughs> Again, it's about describing it as luck. I've always been a weird kid. I've never felt like I fit in to any group or any social trend or whatever. I've always been the odd one out. So moving to a new country wasn't that weird for me. Moving to this particular country was very weird <laughs> because <laughs> I did not know any of the social rules British people, of course, would be like, hi, how are you? And I now know that the answer to that is, I'm well, how are you? And that's just how you say hello. But in Danish, it's very rude to say, I'm fine, how are you? Because that's like, I'm dismissing you. Like, I'm just saying, oh, I'm fine, how are you? Like, which is clearly a lie. And I'm just saying it to get you off my back. So that's really rude. So mm -hmm. what I would do is I would just answer honestly. I'd be like, oh, I'm actually quite homesick and a bit stressed, but... Overall, I think I'm I think I'm okay. And then I wouldn't ask them back because then they would know that I'm only asking because they just asked me. So instead, I would bear it in mind and wait till the end of the evening. And then I'd go, by the way, how are you doing? How are you actually doing? Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that I was being so rude. <laughs> I had no idea. You know, like in Denmark, we go to the bar and we buy our own drinks. You don't buy around. So I would just do that. And again... British people looked at me like I was the most rude, horrible person they'd ever seen. And it took me so long to realize that there were just certain sort of cultural differences, mm. like every email taking an hour to write because you have to go through the whole, oh, thank you so much for your email. I hope you're well. The weather sure is dreadful, isn't it? Oh, well, I hope that this finds you well. No rush to getting back. Like in Denmark, we're just like, hey, do this. Bye. <laughs> so that took a lot of uh, learning and 
what happened at the same time as me moving was that I went from being just a very problematic, unintentionally right-wing almost leaning person compared to, you know, I mean, I would always call myself like a, a liberal, like a, I would always call myself a socialist and, you know, I would always fight for minorities and all of that. But what I was actually doing was being very misogynistic and problematic. And then I moved to the UK where things were 10 years further than Denmark was in terms of social justice. And I had to learn some very hard lessons about how I'd been contributing to a very toxic society by being this misogynistic, problematic person doing like edgy comedy. And I just took a couple of years of just not saying a lot mm. <laughs> to just learn everything I possibly could about how to be an actual good person politically. So a lot of things were happening at the same time as me moving away. And um, it's hard to say what has affected what parts of me and my life now. Oh, that that is just... Uh Sometimes people need to, I guess, again, this is my assumption, move away from something and towards something new. I've been in therapy since I was 16, and it's only recently that I've stopped worshipping therapy as like the one and only way to go. Mm. So as I was listening to your story, I was just like, all these thoughts in my head were like, oh no, oh no, like... My first instinct was always to go, oh, no, 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 don't give up on therapy. Therapy is the best and the only thing ever. And then I also had to remind myself of everything I've learned in the past couple of years about how therapy is not always the solution, which even as I'm saying it now, my brain is like screaming at me, like, because I think this is such a big part of me that has to believe that therapy is the only thing because, well, for many reasons, but... I now know that it's not. So I had a lot of feelings and sort of fear that you were right. And as you were talking, I was like, oh, God, that does make sense. And I could even feel it in my body that when you were saying certain things and quoting from the scriptures and stuff, I could feel it working. And I thought, oh, <laughs> so oh, part of me was like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. And my the other part of me was like, But therapy, like when I was a kid, I had a Freud uh, like action figure. <laughs> so like I used to be knee deep into therapy and Freud and psychoanalytical stuff. So I have a lot of sort of conflicting and very exciting emotions about the whole thing. This is so special. We already have so much in common. And, you know, the reason I wanted to keep my phone up is actually one of your tweets that you also shared on Instagram, which talks about sharing this dialogue that you have, I guess, in the therapy room, which is me. I just feel like I have this void inside of me. And then my therapist, is it a void or is it avoidance? And then me, and you shared this meme of this kind of person kind of laying down. It's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> All this kind of therapy talk. So, Sophie, we're already connected, you know, and, and I think one of the things we can be is A, laugh about these things that confuse us and overwhelm us when we can, and also keep perspective. And yes, part of my mission, and today is all about hearing about yours, is that therapy is a way, but only one way, to understand who we are. And I'm very passionate about understanding who we are through the lens of the Jewish wisdom, which is a universal wisdom to connect with our soul. So it's very special to hear that it touched your soul. 
And today I want to hear and learn and for all of our listeners to hear about Sophie's soul. What a big topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to go for it. We're going to start at least. One of my favorite sayings in the Jewish wisdom is the day you were born was the day that the world was missing you. And the world continues to miss you and to need you every single day because if the world didn't need you, we wouldn't be here. Speaking of accent and grammar, I'm obviously with my Israeli accent, so it's lovely to have two, you know, not, not native English speakers having a conversation. So the world was missing you, Sophie, you said 33 years ago. I mean... According to Jewish wisdom, yes. <laughs> so, <if we laughs> according go... <laughs> according to my dad, no. <laughs> okay, so obviously there's something there, um, but you know you're living your mission now. So, if we go with the assumption that the world misses you every single day and you're here for a reason, what's your mission, Sophie? What have you discovered as your mission? I mean, I was only introduced to the very concept of me having a purpose approximately 45 minutes ago when you said it in your book that I was listening to before this chat. So I've not had a lot of time to really contemplate it because I've never lived my life thinking about the future. I never got, you know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I've had very few thoughts of that. I've had no plans. Most of the decisions I've made in my life, I've made in the moment. You know, when I moved to the UK, I was just on vacation in London and I just thought, oh, it could be fun to go and see like an open house. And I went to see it and the people living there were like, yeah, you can have a room. And I just said, yes, okay. And gave them all my money for deposit and signed a contract basically without taking a breath. And then suddenly I was just sitting in this room having moved to London, very, very, very spur of the moment kind of thing. And that's sort of how I lived my whole life. Oh, I guess I'm doing this now. So the idea of thinking about me in the big picture It's very odd. It's very odd. And I honestly don't know what the answer is. My purpose? I mean, I know what I would like for my purpose to be, but maybe that's not the same as what my actual purpose is. Mm -hmm. I know that often when people hear the word purpose or meaning, it sounds like these corporate, big stage words, right? That unless you're a Barack Obama or someone, <laughs> you know, Gandhi, so, you know, purpose seems so big. But I think what we're looking at is that everyday purpose, is finding what you're talented in or what you're passionate about or even what the world needs from you and and then taking a step and doing something about it. And it seems like you're making so many steps. You're active. Like, it seems like life isn't just happening to you. You're making life happen with writing a book and influencing, right? It says on your Instagram, you're the influencer of the year. What does that mean to influence? Well, I feel like that's a question with two answers. And one is the sort of tongue-in-cheek, you know, I'm hashtag influencer and sort of a fun, quirky way. And there's the cynical answer, which is, oh, I just want to promote things on my Instagram and be paid for it, right? And then there's the bigger question of actually influencing. So here's a question for you about this, which is, I feel like I have a purpose, but that purpose is to correct the bad things that have happened to me. But surely that wasn't my purpose from the moment I was born. So that's, I guess that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, would I have had another purpose if bad things hadn't happened 
and I wouldn't have to spend the rest of my life fixing that. Mm. I connect you know I mean? to you. Absolutely. I feel like I don't want to answer it, but because you asked me directly, um, personally, and this is my own, uh, you know, point of view, and, you know, like you, I've been through difficult things, um, and I assume in our childhood and as we grew up, and I thought for my whole life that those things damaged me forever, and I will never be able to have a happy, meaningful life when I can just wake up in the morning and think that I'm going to live until the end of the day. But I wonder, I wonder if things happened exactly as they should have. And there are things in life that can't be forgiven or forgotten for sure. But I wonder, and this goes a bit to therapy, if maybe we have this opportunity to live in the present and consider the future rather than really living in the past. And I lived in the past for many, many years. And like you, I was doing, right? I was studying and I was working and I made a family, but my head was in those memories of me being seven. And at some point I realized I, I am choosing, I'm actively choosing when I can to let go of those memories, when I can to forget and forgive, maybe more forgive than forget, and I choose to actively live my life. And that's where I discovered that I have a purpose. By the way, even through that painful, those painful experiences, you used the word repair, correct. Those are very deep, meaningful Jewish wisdom words. And Oh, really? Yes. So it's about repair. Repair, which in Hebrew is tikkun, that's tikkun. the essence of living, to repair. And we're here in this world to correct And it's possible, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, it's possible that you're here to correct for yourself, but by sharing that correction, you're helping all of us heal. I think I am in many ways incredibly lucky to have the brain that I have and to have the, well, I mean, let's say soul. I very rarely say soul or think about the soul, but even my therapist says soul, so I'm, I'm going to accept that. <laughs> um, I'm very lucky that I am the person I am. Most of the things that people are afraid of, I'm not afraid of. And I'm extremely strong and have a very high intelligence. Not that I know a lot of things, but <laughs> my brain is very good at figuring things out. It feels like a blessing, which is also a big word, to be able to share the things that I share, which, again, I hear a lot of people say that, you know, I'm one of the people who's often called brave. And it doesn't feel brave because I'm not doing the things that I'm actually scared of. You know, I'm doing things that I'm not scared of doing. So it doesn't feel like bravery, but I understand what that means. So my fears are different from most people's and the things that scare a lot of people don't scare me. And I like that. Like, I like that I can do something that's different and that makes a difference for people. Yeah. That's a lot. So it's what are you... That's a lot. <laughs> So if we use the terminology of correct and repair the world, what's on your agenda? Like, what's your mission? What are you here to correct? What are the things that you're trying to fix in the world? Okay, I'm going to be so honest, right? I think that what I am doing is fixing some things in the world. And I would like to think of it as, you know, battling capitalism and the patriarchy and toxic body image standards and all of that. But if I'm completely raw and honest about it, 
my actual reasoning for doing it has nothing really to do with the world. It's all to do with me. And it's the same reason that I'm most likely not going to have kids. Like I don't have no desire to have kids because my entire life, even up to this point a bit, but you know, less and less every day, I have lived for other people. I have had a reserve, like my whole body, my whole nervous system, my brain, my thoughts, my soul, you might say, I have reserved that for other people. So I've lived for other people, for family members, partners. For most of my life, I've been incapable of saying no, of even being aware of my own wants and needs and my own personality even. So my personal goal and my personal reason for being <laughs> alive is I want to end up at a point where I am living for myself. So I post the things I post about, I write the things I write about because it makes me heal, it makes me feel good. And then I am aware that it then also affects some people in a good way. And that's just lucky and I'm happy with that. But actually, what I want is to be alive, to be actually alive, which I have never been. Just want to be there with you. I don't know where you are because we're now, you know, we're doing this virtually, and and just you know, whatever feels right. Give you a hug. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. You're healing. You are. Oh, you're doing it. You're healing I'm us. Healing. I'm healing so much. <laughs> It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Like I, since, um, oh, it must have been almost a year now. I'm now seeing two therapists and I'm doing more work than, well, I'm not do I don't know if I'm doing more work, but I'm doing the right work now. You know, I've, like you, I've seen therapists who were not right for me. I've also seen therapists who are probably not right for anyone, um, <laughs> really damaging people. Uh, and I've also seen amazing therapists who were just not what I needed or, I've seen therapists who I needed at the time, but now couldn't do what they needed to do. But I'm at the moment looking at working on somatic experiencing, which is much closer to what you're talking about than it is to, you know, the whole Freud psychoanalytical focus on your childhood sort of stuff, which is a lot more about being in the present and being aware of your body and your existence and sort of soothing your nervous system. And since I started doing that, the healing process is just, I mean, <laughs> it's going, it's, it's really happening now. So you were very honest before. I will be honest with you as well. I, for most of my life, didn't feel a connection to my physical body. I actually never shared this in the book. I also didn't share in the book that at some point I started kind of damaging my body in the sense of the anti-aging treatments that I did because I was trying to get in control And one of the things to try control is aging. So now I'm going towards my slowly, but 50s. Um, and many years ago, I already started anti-aging, as I said, as an act of think of dealing with anxiety. But I've never really felt connected to my body. So from my understanding, it seems like it all comes down to feeling safe and feeling unsafe. So the very simple way of explaining it is that when I was a child, I never felt safe. Emotionally, I never felt safe. I had a very abusive grandfather and there was just a lot of toxic family dynamics where I was growing up. You know, my dad wasn't there. There was this whole thing. 
So I never felt safe. And when you don't feel safe, you go into fight flight mode because that's what your body wants to do, right? You're being chased by a tiger. You need to run. So my body has been in fight flight mode since I was born, basically. And so fight flight mode has these like, um, well, it's fight flight fawn freeze. Freeze is sort of dissociation where you're not really there. You're just sort of living in your head in a fantasy or you're daydreaming or you're watching TV. You're not present really in the moment. Flight for me is very much anxiety and OCD. And it's just, you know, oh, I need to paint my entire living room now or I need to just work for 17 hours in a row without taking a breath because I'm just like running away from feeling my feelings. Then there's fight, which is like super aggressive, which... I mean, if you scroll back a couple of years on my Instagram and Twitter, you'll see me just raging about social injustice. So that's having this extreme anger reaction, again, in order to not sit down and feel. And then there's fawn, which is basically codependency. So just putting everything you are onto another person. Mm. Like the amounts of crushes I've had where my every moment of being alive was all about them. And they're all ways for me to not be in my body. Because if I was in my body, I would be unsafe. Because if I'm in my body, I am not constantly aware of all the dangers that are around me. So the way you get to be in your body is by teaching yourself that you are safe now. And the way you teach yourself that you are safe now is by orienting. You know, oh, I'm not seven years old anymore. My grandfather, he's very, very far away. I have a lock on my door. I even have a, another door closed into my bedroom here. You know, I can touch the things that are around me. I am 33. I'm an adult. I can handle things that are thrown at me. I am safe. Mm. So that's sort of the mantra. It's like, I am safe to be here in my body and to teach your nervous system that, hey, it's okay, you can relax. is incredibly hard. That is very powerful. And I know that you're sharing personal things, and I respect and appreciate that, Sophie. It sounds like, and I'm also looking at you now, that you're in your zone, Sophie, right? You're finding your place, but you're also curving your place, right? You share on Instagram your home and your dog and your food, your safe place, as you said, with two locks, but this is your safe place internally and physically. So the two questions I'd like to ask you, I'll start with a question that we ask every guest is the question, which is the title of the book. What would you do if you weren't afraid? And I know you are not afraid of things that others are very afraid of, but you also mentioned that you are afraid of your own unique fears. So is there one thing that you would do if you weren't afraid? This is going to this is probably going to sound really weird. I would do what I wanted to do, which sounds vague. But what would happen if I wasn't afraid? If I wasn't in fight flight mode, if my nervous system didn't feel that I was constantly unsafe, is I would set boundaries. I would feel, first I would feel and know when a boundary was happening and someone was overstepping it, and then I would say no and stop that from happening. I'd take a step back. I would be able to feel in my body who I am and what I want to do. If that is 
going for a run or eating a chocolate cake or watching a certain film or dancing or talking to someone I love, I would be getting signals from my body that I'm currently not getting because my body thinks that we're being chased by a tiger, so it doesn't have time to tell me what we want to eat right now. So I would just be truly alive and I would be able to be in the moment doing all the things that I really, truly want to do instead of constantly be trying to find ways to flee from my own emotions. That is very clear. It doesn't make it easy, but it's very clear. And a question that I'd like to ask you, you spoke about feeling safe, right? That you didn't feel safe and I completely relate to that and connect to that. One of the things that really matter in order for all of us to feel safe is to feel that we belong. And my question to you is, when now in your life, where do you feel you most belong? And what are you doing when you're feeling, I'm in my place, I am belonging? Hmm. I don't think, I don't think I feel that yet. I used to think it was in stand-up. Dressing rooms backstage with the other comedians felt in such a powerful way, like where I belonged, because I was there with you know, like-minded people who suddenly understood me. You know, I'd always been looked at as weird, but amongst comedians, they just got it. You know, it was other people who were also broken, who we could talk about really deep stuff. I would know more about a person's horrible divorce or deepest, darkest secrets, but I wouldn't know what their middle name was or how old they were. And that just felt right. It was like the right, intense, hilarious accepting environment and I think that's the last time I felt like I belonged somewhere but then as identity politics have sort of blown up all over you know the world it's a thing that more people are talking about and so many of those people that before I used to feel I belonged to as a group have now shown themselves to be not as clever not as understanding, not as empathetic, not as welcoming as I felt they were before, as I assumed they were before. I always assumed that they were the kinds of people where if they became aware that they were hurting people, they would stop. But instead, so many of them turned out to care more about themselves and their own belonging in the world. <laughs> and so now even comedy isn't a place where I always feel like I belong. So I don't know where that new space is. I don't know where I can feel like I belong before I am fully healed, I think. Because belonging also feels like a bit of a trust that I've had broken quite a lot. So I don't have a family where, where anyone really feels like they belong because everyone's so traumatized. I have friends that I feel close with and that I trust and love. But even with them, there's a part of me that's always ready to cut them out of my life completely, just in case, you know, if they send any kind of signals that they might hurt me, I'm out of there. You know, I'll just never speak to you again, even though you've been my best friend for years. And then again, comedy is not a thing anymore. So I, I feel like I belong in myself. I feel like there's a space here for me, like I understand and I love me. But when it comes to other people or institutions, I don't think I'm there yet. Oh, Sophie, thank you. I I belong in this conversation that you and I had. I feel such a connection. 
And you have a really important role in the world. I'm telling you this as a fellow human. Thank you. Thank you for sharing today. Thank you for what you're doing. Please continue doing it. Can I add a thing? Of course. I think, and this is one of the things that I do on social media as well, is sharing thoughts as they occur to me, meaning they're not thought through. I haven't processed it. I'm not sure what they mean. So I'm just saying what comes to my mind, which I don't know what is, which is that one of the reasons that in reading your book, I was really, I was feeling kind of like aggressive and fighty <laughs> is I think there's something like when you talked about your religion and your spirituality, I think there's a part of me that felt something good. And then I f tried to fight that. And it's something that has come back to me since as far back as I remember, whenever I was with a person who was close to God, regardless of which religion that was, something inside me felt home. And I think I'm, I don't, I'm not even close to being there yet in my head to actually look into that. <laughs> But there's something in that where I'm like, oh, I think that's why I had this very strong reaction of like, oh, <laughs> let me just shake this off and put the fingers in my ears and go, la, 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 let's not even go near this yet. So I want to thank you for, for pushing me a bit closer to that as well, because I think that's something that at some point will give me a lot of... Nice feelings, but oh my still, gosh! And look I'm at your gonna... eyes. Your eyes are <laughs> shining. You know the eyes are the window to the soul. Oh, Sophie, thank you, really, from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your story. I've, I think we have a lot in common in a weird way, like in ways that are not on paper the same, but that still I think has put us in some of the same feelings. Oh. So thank you for sharing your story as well, and for for challenging me in a way that's actually really, really good for me, even though I would never admit that to your face. <laughs> Sophie, I can't thank you enough for your vulnerability, for your candidness, for being so present. And even though we had this conversation, not face to face in the same room, but over Zoom, I felt you. I looked into your eyes. I saw you. I can even say I feel like I saw your soul. And that's part of my reflections after our conversation, how special it is to connect with a person that you've never met before and only after 40, 50 minutes to feel like you know them and that they know you. So as a takeaway for all of us, let's think about how can we connect with people meaningfully, not above the surface, but really try to understand who they are, what's important to them, And how can we be their ally? How can we be there for them? I recommend everyone and anyone that wants to continue to grow and evolve, especially on the areas that Sophie is so, so passionate about, to follow Sophie on her different social channels. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. And yeah, book a ticket to her show if you want to have an amazing evening of laughter and some cry, but good cry, I would recommend booking a ticket for her stand-up comedy. Now let's transition into our coaching questions. As you know, the end of each episode, we want to take action. We want to do something about our learnings. We want to grow. Sophie said 
Dancing with mental health issues was part of my life. I didn't like people. I used to watch TV a lot, but not hang out with people. I was that weird kid that never felt they fitted in. I didn't get the social rules. So many people feel like that, even when they're adults. This is not just a child's experience. Maybe you're feeling this way too. My first coaching question to you is, is there a place in your life or a person that you hang out with that being there or with them actually makes you feel that you don't belong, that this isn't your safe place, that this isn't where you want to be? Think about what's going on in that relationship or in that place and what can you do about that? No one should stay in a place that doesn't feel comfortable for them. That's the first coaching question. Coaching question two. Sophie very candidly shared with us that she kind of used to worship therapy, that for her therapy was everything. It can fix everything. It's the answer to everything. But as she evolved in life and learned more, and I guess matured, she realized that talking therapy is one way to heal the soul. So my coaching question is, what are other methods that you can engage with that will help you heal your soul? Those things that when you do them or you think them or you be them, you feel like you're getting better. You're feeling more confident and more comfortable in your skin. Those are my two very deep coaching questions for today. Thank you so much for all the incredible people that make this podcast happen. Thank you to our executive producer, Alex Hollins, Carrie Luter, our head of production, Leo Schick, our assistant producer, and Lucy Ditchmont, who is producing this show for Storyglass. If you'd like to find out more about the concepts that we speak about on our podcast, about your soul, about how to find meaning, about replacing fear with purpose, you are welcome to purchase my book or download What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid by Michal Oshman. That's me. And I'd love to get your feedback on our podcast. So please do share, review, give me feedback so we can grow and improve 